Well, good morning, Berean. It's good to be back with you. For, for those of you that don't know who I am, my name is Pastor Spencer, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Berean. We're glad that you are with us today. Uh, I don't know about you, but I am kind of an adventurer. I, I like to go different places, see different things. It was about 10 years ago, me and some friends decided we were going to go to the mountains of Idaho. And if you've ever seen Idaho, you know that Idaho is quite a rugged place. Uh, it's not, when you're walking there, it is not like walking the bike trail across down here. I mean, it is up and down and up and down. And uh, while we were there, one afternoon well into the trip, we decided that we, we were going to go to a distant drainage that we hadn't been to yet. And this drainage was about a seven-mile walk from where we were camping and about a 4,000-foot climb in elevation. And it took us most of the day to get there. And right when we're about there, we come across this area that you can see in the picture that had been burned by wildfires a couple years before. And so you had these dead trees laying on the ground all over the place. And then because of the increased sunlight, you had really thick vegetation that had grown up. And on top of that, as you can see in the one picture, there were just like random fields of rocks covered in moss all over the place. And so this area we were going through was incredibly difficult to traverse. No walking trails. We were just walking across this stuff. And let me tell you what, the next two hours were some of the most discouraging of my entire life. I mean, you would go 10 yards and you, you'd step on one of those rocks and you'd hit the moss. Boom. Next thing you know. You're there laying on your back like, oh, what happened? You get up, go another 10 yards, all of a sudden you're stuck in a bramble bush, and you're like, can this get any worse? So after about an hour of up and down and falling over and getting stuck, I, I had a brilliant idea, and I thought, I'm going to walk across one of these burned logs. That way I don't have to fall on the moss-covered rocks anymore. So <laughs> I start walking across this log. I get about halfway across. <laughs> The thing snaps in half. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> there I go. I'm laying on the ground. <laughs> I remember yelling to my buddies, guys, just leave me here. I can't go any further. I'm done. That, that wolf back there, just let him come eat me. I, I'm, I'm done with it. <laughs> and, you know, any of you that have ever done anything physical know that it has a tendency to, to beat you up and to discourage you. And when you're particularly taxed, whether it's your competing or your training, th there's often a thought in the back of your mind that says, you know what, you should just start walking. You should just give up a little bit, you know. It, it'll be a whole lot easier to give up. And at the very worst, that, that thought in the back of your mind says, hey, just, just throw in the towel. Quit altogether. It, it's not worth it. It's better to just lay there on the ground and get eaten by the wolf, you know. And... <laughs> Our spiritual lives are really not that much different. I, I think if we were to be honest with ourselves, we would acknowledge that we struggle to be consistently faithful in our actions and our attitudes when we are faced with difficulty. You know, you, you've had those thoughts. You, you've thought, maybe, maybe I'll get home, it'll just be easier to sit on the couch than to help my wife out around the house. Or, hey, you're out with your friends and you just say, you know what, I, I'm just going to have another beer with my buddies instead of drawing the line in the sand someplace. Or, or maybe you're the kind of person that says, hey, I listen to the Word preached on Sunday morning, and then I got Caleb on throughout the week, so, so I don't have to open the Bible at all the rest of the week. You know, whatever it is, there are a variety of different peer pressures and social pressures, and, you know, we get bored, we get constrained with our time, we get busy. There's a variety of different things in our lives that discourage us from faithfulness, from doing what God has called us to do. 
And as we turn to the book of 2 Timothy this morning, uh, we're going to see that even Timothy, who, who in this book is described as having a sincere faith, was in danger of giving in to difficulties. But we're also going to see in this book that, that Paul, Timothy's father in the faith, his mentor, encouraged him, and he equipped him to be faithful in those difficulties, to be faithful in the midst of the fight that is sometimes the Christian life. You know, and last week, uh, Pastor Stephen uh, reminded us that 2 Timothy is the very last letter that Paul wrote. He wrote it right before he was executed. And at the time he wrote it, he, he was imprisoned by Nero, the Roman emperor, for preaching the gospel. Nero had been persecuting Christians. And as a result, many of Paul's co-workers had thrown in the towel. They said, I, I'm done. This is too tough. I, I don't want to get persecuted. And they had begun to shy away from their ministries. They didn't persevere through the difficulties. And Timothy was probably under the pressure to, to do the same thing. And so, so he was at risk of walking away from what God had called him to do. And I think we get a glimpse of this in, in the very first chapter of the book. In this chapter, we see Paul tell Timothy, Timothy, you have to remember to fan into flame. Really, the idea of rekindling the gift that God has given you. You have to replace your fear, or some translations say your timidity, with power and love and a sound mind. You, you need to not be ashamed of Paul and of the Lord, but willingly suffer. Suffer for the gospel. He says you have to hold on to the truth. And then finally in chapter 2, he says, you need to be strengthened. So you can sense the fear that Paul had that Timothy would struggle, that, that he may be tempted to walk away from keeping the faith. And in this chapter we're going to look at this morning, in, in chapter 4, we, we see Paul's final charge to Timothy. The very last words that he really gives him about ministry. And in this charge we see a call to faithfulness. A call to faithfulness even in the midst of a difficult fight. And as we open this text this morning, I think we're going to see three principles that, that we can apply to our hearts and our minds that will remind us and help us to be faithful in our own fights. So turn with me to 2 Timothy, and we're going to start this morning uh, in, in verse 5, actually. Verse 5, we're going to get a little structure to work with. In verse 5, Paul gives Timothy four commands. He says, I want you to exercise self-control in everything. I want you to endure suffering. I want you to do the work of an evangelist. That, that is that he wants Timothy, in whatever capacity he finds himself, to announce the gospel. And then finally he says, fulfill your ministry. And I want you to notice that all, all four of those commands point towards perseverance. You've got to have self-control in everything. You have to endure suffering. You, you, whenever, wherever you find yourself, you have to do the work of an evangelist. And then you have to fulfill your ministry. And that, that word fulfill has the idea of persevere until it is finished. And I think that that final command of fulfill your ministry is really a summary idea. It, it describes everything that Timothy is supposed to do. It's a call for him to persevere in faithfulness. And we're going to see in this text that everything prior to this leads and, and points to it. And then everything from this verse flows from it. So I want you to turn with me. We're going to start back in verse 1. Jump up there. And, and in verse 1, we're going to see the first principle this morning that will help us to keep the faith. 
And that is that in order to keep the faith, we need Jesus-centered motivation. Jesus-centered motivation. Look with me at verse 1. Paul says, I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom. And what he's doing here is he's really trying to motivate Timothy to, to faithfulness. And in order to do that, he reminds him of two things. First, he reminds him that everything he does is carried out in the sight of Christ. There is nothing, no action, no attitude that we have that is beyond the knowledge of Christ. He sees and he knows everything. And because he does, that alone should, should motivate Timothy to be faithful. But Paul doesn't stop there. He, he continues on. And, and he strengthens that statement by saying that Christ, who knows everything, is going to judge us. He's going to judge us. But the picture here is not what we would typically think of when we would think of a judge. You know, here in America, if you get arrested and you go into the courtroom, lawyer A comes in, lawyer B comes in, and they both stand there and they present arguments, right? And they bring forth evidence and they bring forth witnesses. And then it's the judge's job to sort through all of that information and to come to a decision. He has to decide what the facts are in the case. That is not the case with Jesus, right? Jesus knows everything. He's seen everything that you've ever done. He knows every thought that you've ever had. There's no getting off the hook here because of a lack of evidence. When Christ judges us, it is going to be a perfect verdict. Now, now we could spend a lot of time in this, this passage this morning talking about biblical judgments, but, but for the sake of time, I just want to point out to you which judgment I think he's referring to here. And it's a judgment spoken of in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now this judgment is what theologians call the Bema Seat Judgment, and it's a judgment for Christians. But it's not a judgment of condemnation. It has nothing to do with your eternal destiny. It is a judgment of rewards. We are going to be rewarded based on how faithfully we have served Christ. And Timothy here is at risk of kind of walking away, of not being as faithful as he should be and to the call that God has placed on his life. And so Paul is really saying, hey, hey buddy, you know, I'm just here to remind you that one day you're going to stand before Christ. And you're going to give an account to God for the lack of faithfulness that you have. And man, think about that. that that's a sobering thought. And when you're tempted to not do what God is calling you to do, you've you got to realize that God knows what you're doing already. And, and then one day, you are going to stand before him, and you've got to ask yourself, do I want to give an account to God for what I am about to do? You know, a, a couple of months ago, in January, we had some, some foster boys with us for the weekend. And we were kind of hanging out in the basement, and they were having fun. We were watching TV. And, and in the basement, we, we have some bookcases. And on these bookcases, we have some wicker baskets. And, and, and let me tell you what. These wicker baskets took us 
forever to find it. You guys, you, you know how it is. You go shopping with your wife. You go into 12 different stores, and we, we're looking for baskets that are just the right color, just the right texture, just the right shape. They all got to have patterns that match, you know. As far as I'm concerned, these baskets were irreplaceable. So the one kid, he walks up to the bookcase, grabs the basket off, dumps it on the floor, and turns it over. And I'm watching this like, huh, kid number two. He walks over right up next to the basket, and he looks right at me. And I look this kid in the eye, and in the most stern voice that I could possibly muster up, I said, do not stand on that basket, or we are done watching TV. Well, you can guess how that ended. (laughs) Kid kid jumped right on the basket. (laughs) So that was the end of TV time. But, you know, so often we do the exact same thing. We know what God expects of us. We know what faithfulness looks like. We've read his God-breathed word. But we say to ourselves, I I don't care. I don't care. I'm not going to do the Christian thing today. And when we are tempted to do that, we have got to remember to have Jesus-centered motivation. We have to remember that one day we're going to stand before Jesus. And he's going to ask me about this moment. And what do I want to say? Do I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, and be rewarded? Or do I want to explain to him why I just didn't feel like listening? If we want to be faithful servants, we have to care about what Jesus thinks. We have to have Jesus-centered motivations. But... We're going to see in this text that we also have to have word-centered lives. Word-centered lives. We're going to see a couple of ways that the word should drive us towards faithfulness. The word was central to the calling that God had placed on Timothy's life. God had called him to preach the word. To preach the word. In verse 2 here, we're going to dig into this in a minute, but but I want to spend a couple of minutes uh, unpacking that idea and really digging into preaching the word because it is the heart, it's the heart of the charge that Paul gives to Timothy here. And and the verse has been kind of special to me over the years too. Um, When when I lived in in Florida, I I got to get to know a very well-known professor from Cedarville University, uh, Dr. Gromacki. Some of you that went there may have had him. He taught Bible and um, Greek at Cedarville for for over 40 years. Well, when I was a pastoral intern, I I had the privilege of working with Dr. Gromacki on a project. And when we were all done with the project, he uh, he invited me out to breakfast, and he gave me uh, an entire commentary series that he had written. And uh, in the cover of the very first one, he, he wrote something. And he wrote this note. It says, To Spencer Valeri, in appreciation for your personal assistance and leadership. Love in Christ, Robert Gromacki. Psalm 34, 3. Remember, kerusan tan lagan. Preach the word. Preach the word. That is the job of every single pastor. That word preach uh, literally means to to herald a message or to proclaim publicly. And and it has the idea of a time when you had a king or an emperor and he would get a herald. And then the herald's job was to go from the palace down into the town and proclaim to the people what the king wanted them to know. And so the picture here is that the preacher is God's mouthpiece to the people. He is called to preach the word, to declare to the people God's breathed and God's inspired word. 
And he, he, I want you to notice here the content of what the preacher is supposed to preach. The content is the word. The content is the word. The preacher is to preach the word. He, he's not supposed to just preach about the word. He's not supposed to just say anything he wants to. He is not supposed to just lift some random idea and build Bible verses around it. He, he's not supposed to preach economics or current events. He's not supposed to stand up here and give you a self-help lecture or a philosophy talk. It's not supposed to be a sociology lecture. He is supposed to preach the word. The holy, inspired, God-breathed word that Stephen told us about last week. And then he says, here in verse 2, he says that the preacher has to always be ready to preach the word. Notice he says, in season and out of season. He's got to be ready to preach the word. When it's convenient and when it's not convenient, when he wants to and when he doesn't want to, when it's popular and when it's not popular, he has to preach the word. And th this phrase is interesting. It brings to mind the idea of, of an OBGYN. You know, an OBGYN, he, he's got to be on call, ready to roll all the time. When he gets the call that that baby's coming, it doesn't matter that he's having dinner with his family. It doesn't matter that he took the day off. He's got to go in, and, and he's got to constantly be ready to deliver that baby. And so here the picture is that the preacher has to constantly be ready to apply the word to people's life. He's got to constantly be ready to apply the word to people's life. Then there's three other descriptions in, in this verse here that really describe for us what the preacher is supposed to do as he preaches the word. The, these are descriptions of ways that the word should be applied to the lives of the people as he's preaching. The first is that he's got to reprove. Some translations say correct or, or convince him. And the idea here is one of, of mind application. Mind application. The, the preacher's job is to get you to think about sin to confront you with your sin, to convince you that your thinking is wrong. If you have bad theology, a bad understanding about God, if you think certain activities are okay that God says are not okay, then it's the preacher's God to, to confront you with the truth and to get you to think rightly. You know, it, it also says that the preacher has to rebuke. Now, this word is interesting. It means to bring an action to an end. Rebuke. Bring an action to an end. So, so he's got to convince the people that their thoughts need correction, but then he's got to convince them that their actions need correction. Th this is really the idea of, of a heart change, a heart change, a heart, a heart application. You know, preaching ought to convict you of your sin, because what you're preaching is, is the Word. And we learned last week that the Word is good for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. You know, the Holy Spirit, he, he works through the Word, and He works through the Word preached to convict you of your sin and to make you more like Christ. He changes your desires, and He molds them so that they match Christ's. That's what it's all about, is becoming more like Christ, making much of Him. And the final application I want you to see here is that the preacher is to make what I'm going to call a hand application. A hand application. A, a good sermon isn't just an information dump. You know, it's bringing the word to bear on, on the minds of people, but also on their hearts and on their hands. He, he closes by saying that the preacher's job is to exhort the people. And that idea of exhort is urging them to make very practical lifestyle changes. It's a proclamation of Scripture that says, this is what the Word says, now let us go do it. Let us go do what the Word says. So you have these three different applications of, of mind and of heart and of hands. And as the preacher preaches the Word and, and applies it to your life, the text then goes on to say that he's supposed to do that 
with patience and with teaching. Patience, because growth towards Christ's likeness is a slow process, right? It, it does not happen overnight. You don't preach the word and instantly people are like Jesus on Sunday afternoon. You know, it's, it's more like the idea of, of planting a seed. If you plant a seed for a tree, does it pop up the next day? No. That takes that tree years and years and years to grow to maturity. And because it's a slow process, the preacher has to have patience. But not only does he have to have patience, the text says that he has to to have, uh, that preaching has to be done with teaching. It has to be done with teaching. What that means is that the, when he preaches, the facts of the text and, and doctrine have to be taught. They have to be explained. And this is what I want you to see. The this, this second aspect here of having a word-centered life is having right doctrine. When we have right doctrine, it can help us to be faithful in the difficulties of our lives. You know, and, and also here it's important, if you don't have right doctrine, and if you can't understand what the text means, then you have no basis for correction and for rebuke, right? You know, if, if the pastor doesn't explain to you what the word means, how's he supposed to then turn around and rebuke you on the basis of it or spur you to action on the basis of it? You know, I think of like if you were to hire an employee, you know, you, you hire the employee and you don't give them a job description. They show up day one, no job description. What do they do? They they stand around the water cooler and talk to people, right? Because you haven't told them what they're supposed to do. And that's the picture here. You know, the, the word has to be taught so that the people can, can be convicted, they can be corrected, and they can be spurred on towards righteousness. And, and notice this. He relates teaching to every one of those aspects of preaching that he talks about. And he does that because what we know provides a foundation for how we feel and how we act. What we know provides a foundation for how we feel and how we act. We're going to see this idea fleshed out more in, in verse 3 here, where Paul gets specific about the importance of preaching sound doctrine. He explains that, that people who are rooted in this sound doctrine through the preaching of the Word, they're less likely to turn away from the truth and more likely to be faithful. So look with me at verse 3 here. Verse 3 says, For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. And that implies that Timothy is, is putting forth and teaching sound doctrine. But according to their desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. The word needs to be preached because a time is coming. And I'll suggest to you that that time is here when people will not care about sound doctrine. They will care more about their own selfish desires. They'll be more concerned about what they want to hear than what they need to hear. And the picture here is interesting. The word for sound means healthy or in good health. And I want to give you a picture of what he's talking about there. You know, if you think about America today, it seems like we see more and more people pushing healthy diets and workout regimens, and people really just want to get in shape. And I'll bet you that I lived for 25 years before I had ever heard of, of this stuff. You know, quinoa, quino, quinoa, I, I don't think anybody really knows how to pronounce it, right? And, and, and the stuff's supposed to be good for you. It says organic on the top of it. But uh, the major problem with quinoa is, is that it looks like bird seed, and then it tastes like a dirty old tree branch, you know. So nobody really wants to eat this stuff. Um, it's just got to be choked down, right? The health food sometimes just has got to be tolerated. It's just got to be choked down. And, and the picture here is that good preaching will, will prickle you sometimes. 
It's going to step on your toes. When doctrine is preached and it, it confronts your false beliefs and your actions, you should endure it because it's making you healthier. It's making you more like Christ. But people don't want to do that. People want to turn from sound doctrine and wander off into myths because they think it is easier for them to hear what they want to hear than what Christ wants them to hear. And notice here, he says, people will find teachers according to their own desires. Their own desires. Yeah, I think one of the predominant false teachings in Christianity today is this, that, that the Bible and Christianity are all about me, right? They're all about me, big number one. And so people evaluate churches uh, on the basis of how the sermon makes them feel. A lot of people would rather have a pastor who, who is entertaining the one who is a good expositor of the word. They'd rather he be a good communicator than a good theologian. You know, by and large, churches today are more concerned about the music, the environment, they're concerned about their emotions and the experience than they are about the teaching of sound doctrine. You know, I think we take that for granted sometimes. You know, we, we go to a church, and, oh, no, they're talking about Jesus, they're talking about God, then they, then they got to be solid, right? Well, they may be a Christian, but that doesn't mean that they're doing what God commands us to do here. That doesn't mean that they're preaching the word. Our, our memory verse this, this month is 2 Timothy 2.15. It says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Not everyone rightly handles the word of truth. You know, some people are going to be ashamed when they stand before Christ and give an account for what they taught, for what came out of their mouth. And so it is vital for you as a congregation, for you as people, to make sure that your pastors are preaching the word. But Because according to Paul here, in the day and age in which we live, when people are, are tempted to follow their own desires, the preaching of the word and its application to life are of utmost importance. You know, Paul, Paul's essentially saying here, Hey, Timothy, make sure that you preach the word. Preach the word, because the time is coming when people won't want to hear it. They won't want to hear it. And, and when they don't want to hear it, that is when they need to hear the word the most. That's when they need to hear the word the most. And, and so your best defense uh, against losing the faith, against following false teachers, is being word-centered. Being word-centered. But, but by way of application, how, how do you do that? How do you do that? I would suggest to you this. First, be a hearer of the word. You know, when the pastor's up here preaching on Sunday morning or in Sunday school, you know, even if it's not your favorite subject or maybe he's boring you to tears or you stayed out too late and you're, you're exhausted and tired, whatever it is, ask the Spirit to fight those inclinations in your heart and, and then try to engage in active listening. You know, do whatever it takes. But, you know, grab, grab the back of your bulletin and take down notes but do what you need to do to hear the word because the word has the power to change your life. And second, I would say this. I would encourage you to stretch yourself a little bit. Stretch yourself a little bit. Read the Bible and then study it. Study it. You know, I'd encourage you to go check out the books that are on the back table there. See if you can find a, a, a theology book or a commentary book. If you can't, you know, I, I would encourage you. Go on Amazon, wherever you've got to go. Buy a good single volume commentary on the Bible. Buy a good uh, theology book 
And, and if you're interested to talk to any one of the pastors, they could point you in the right direction of, of some that are solid. But, but do yourself a favor and really dig into the Word. Learn what the Word says. See the riches of it. See the depths of it. See how Jesus is magnified in the Word. Because it's not about you and me. It's about Him. If you do that, if you dig into the Word, you're going to be reminded of that. You're going to be reminded that it is about Christ. You know, even the application is not about you. Even the application is not about you. It is about you being faithful so that you can make much of him, so that you can make much of Jesus. And we are called to do that. We are called to be faithful and make much of Jesus from now until the time that he calls us home or comes back. And I want you to see that here in verses 6 and 7. Verses 6 and 7, we see this picture of lifelong faithfulness. Paul, Paul writing to Timothy, the last words he's ever going to tell him about ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That phrase here, poured out, is an interesting one. It's, it's an image from the Old Testament sacrificial system where, where during the ritual of sacrificing a lamb near the end of it, that they would pour wine as a drink offering on the altar. And Paul pictures himself as that offering. He, he knows that he's about to go before Nero and he is about ready to be beheaded. And when he is beheaded, his, his blood is going to spill out and it's going to fall on the ground and splatter like that wine would splatter on the altar. And so this is serious. And he says to Timothy, Timothy, I'm about ready to die. And as a matter of fact, by the time you get this letter, I may already be dead. I may already be poured out. But know this, I have poured out my life as an offering to Jesus Christ. And that offering is about ready to be complete. I have fulfilled my ministry. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. You see what he's doing here? He, he's laying himself out as an example for Timothy. I've done it. I've been faithful through the fight. So you can be too. You can fulfill your ministry. What I'm asking you to do isn't impossible. It's not impossible. You can do it. And then he gives them one last bit of encouragement. This is so neat. He says in verse 8, There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. He leaves them with hope. The hope that one day Jesus is going to return. And that when he does that, he's going to award to him the crown of righteousness. But not only to Paul, to Timothy, and to every genuine believer who loves and follows Jesus and longs for him to come back. And so far this morning, as we think about this, we have seen that we need Jesus-centered motivation. And we need word-centered lives where we learn right doctrine and then apply it to our mind and our hearts and our hands. And when we do that, it helps us to be faithful, to be faithful in difficulties and under pressure. And the last thing that I want to leave you with, the last principle is this, that to keep the faith, we need faithful mentors, faithful mentors. People who have faced the difficulties that we are, that we will face. People who know the challenges of following Christ, but people who also know the joy, who know the peace, who know the grace and the mercy and the rewards of following Christ. There's two things in this text I want you to see about a faithful mentor. First, a faithful mentor is someone 
who can model perseverance for us. They can model perseverance for us. There's someone who is a stage ahead of you in the Christian walk, who can encourage you, who can teach you, who can help you to apply the word to your life and demonstrate to you what it looks like to be faithful in the midst of difficulties. And the second thing I want you to see about a faithful mentor is that they should be someone who points you to biblical hope in times of, biblical, in times of difficulty. They point you to biblical hope. And biblical hope is a confident expectation and a desire that something good is going to happen in the future. You know, Paul knew Timothy was going to face these trials. He was going to face the same oppression that Paul did. And that was a great amount of oppression, if you remember Stephen talking about that last week. But in the midst of all of that, he reminded him that Jesus was coming back. And he was going to make all things right. And when he did, he was going to award to him the crown of righteousness. You see, a faithful mentor is a, is a constant source of encouragement in times of difficulty. And my question for you this morning is, do you have a faithful mentor? Or are you faithfully mentoring someone else? You know, if not, you, you need to find one. You need to find one. It, it'll be an invaluable source of growth for you. And I had somebody ask me one time, well, well Pastor Spencer, how do you find a mentor? How do you find a mentor? Well, um, you ask them right? You, you find somebody who, whose faith you admire, who's walking the walk, who's doing what Jesus has called them to do, and you say, hey, would you be willing to meet with me every, every once in a while? Help, help spur me on towards what God calls me to do. You know, in, in my life, I've had the great privilege of having some, some great mentors. When, when I lived in Florida and was a, a pastoral intern, I, I had the opportunity to be mentored by a guy named Pastor Moosey. And there's Pastor Moosey on the right. Uh, guy on the left is uh, another mentor of mine. He's a pastor down there. His name's Pastor Tom. Uh, but Pastor Moosey had been a pastor. Uh, he's retired since, but he was a pastor for over 50 years, 50 years. He had been a, a youth pastor. He'd been a senior pastor. He'd been an administrative pastor, just a variety of different things, and probably some stuff that I'm forgetting. But, but Pastor Moosey and I would meet every single day for mentoring. And, and we talk about life, and we talk about ministry, and we talk about marriage, and, and, and we talk about the Word. We, we dig into theology together, and then we talk about how that was teaching us lessons and how God was working in our hearts. You know, he, he showed me how to care for people. He showed me how to do hospital visits, and he showed me how to preach the Word. He also happened to keep me quite humble on the golf course. But um, that's not the point this morning. Uh, I, I learned from Pastor Moosey in, in that year more th than I ever could have learned in reading a book. You know, it was one of the Lord's greatest blessings on my life. And, and having someone like that, someone who can speak into your life, who has been there themselves, who has been through the difficulties, it's, ju it's just a tremendous encouragement. It's a tremendous encouragement because the Christian life isn't always easy. You're, you're going to run up against difficulties. There are going to be times when you want to throw in the towel. There are going to be times when the pain won't seem worth it, and the sacrifices won't seem worth it, when the rejection won't seem worth it. And it's in those moments when faithfulness is proven. When everything inside of you and the world around you is pressuring you to weaken, to walk away from what God has called you to do, that is when your faith is tested. That's when you need to be motivated by the fact that Christ sees and he knows everything that you do, and that one day you're going to stand before him and give an account, that's when you need to let the word drive you to righteousness, to Christ's likeness. That's when you need to make sure that you are grounded in its truths, and that you're letting those truths control your mind and your heart and your hand. 
And as we do that, let, let us find faithful mentors who can model for us and demonstrate to us the grace and the love of Christ. And finally, in the midst of all that, if you want to be faithful through the fight, through the difficulties of life, remember that you have hope. Real hope, confident hope. Hope that one day Jesus is going to come back from heaven, that he's going to establish his kingdom, and that when that happens, you're going to be rewarded with the crown of righteousness. And as we finish, I, I want to leave you just with one thought this morning. You know, even though we are called to this, we are called to be faithful. And, and I want you to remember that God is not going to make you persevere alone. God does not make you persevere alone. His Spirit lives inside of you, and it gives you the strength and the wisdom that you need to glorify God and make much of Him, even in your most difficult moments. I want you to look with me at Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. It says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, God called you, God saved you, God's in the process of sanctifying you, and one day he is going to glorify you. And so remember that you are not alone in this. God is with you, he is right by your side, he is inside of you, motivating you to make much of Christ and be like him. And so you do not have to fear. You can pursue what God has called you to do because he is faithful to you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And we are so encouraged when we open up your word and we see its richness and we see its depth. And this morning, Lord, we have been reminded that you have called us to be faithful, that you have called us to finish what you started in us. But we are encouraged knowing that it is you who are working that out in our lives. And Lord, this week, may we be people who are dedicated to, to your will for our lives, to knowing what you have for us and what you want us to do. And we may be people by your spirit that, that seek to do it. Lord, and may this church always be dedicated to the preaching of the word. May we not wander off into mists and turn away from the truth, but may we constantly be reminded that your word is living and it is active, and between it and the Holy Spirit, you uh, have the power to change our lives and to make us more like Christ. And so, Lord, as we leave here this morning, may we go into the world being reminded of what you have called us to, being reminded of faithfulness. And, Lord, may we rely on your Spirit for the strength to do that. We are thankful for Jesus. And we're thankful for the spirit that lives inside of us. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning, folks. Have a good week. And remember to make much of Jesus and to preach the word as you go out this week.